Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll get there here in just a second. Uh, but last week, we started a sermon series called Who's Your One? And so remember me telling you that if you would hold on to these next four weeks and truly listen and buy into what Scripture is teaching you, everything around you will change. And so this morning, I want you to kind of think with me, because one of the things that I hear on a regular basis is that, Jeff, I don't really know if people accept Christ anymore. I don't know if people put their faith and trust in Christ anymore. And so listen, I, I want to tell you, I assure you that they do. I promise you, I've seen it over the past couple of years, even more and more, and in its incredible understanding of that. But here's what I think is missing. Less people share their faith to see people come to know Christ even more and more. But this morning, I want to encourage you. God is still God. God is still working today as much as he ever has. And he's still on the exact same mission. But listen, my contention this morning is that his people are doing less and less and less. And so by the end of this message this morning, I hope that you bust out of these walls. Every restaurant that you go to, you share the message of Christ with every server in this community. But listen, if you're going to share Christ with a server, leave a good tip. Okay, just a fun fact. Uh, if you share Christ and leave them an awful tip, it's not really great. Okay, uh, so when you think about this, uh, I hope that by the end of this, your heart is challenged. I also want to help you understand, I know that I preached a message on this exact same topic on 1018, uh, so please don't come up to me afterwards and remind me of that message. Uh, I know that. Uh, this is a repackaged, re-understood, and so I hope that it will encourage you in a different way, okay? Uh, how many of you have great ideas? How many of you just have these ideas that, that just every once in a while they pop through your head and you go, this is it. This is the thing. This is what could take place. Now, the reality is that we have a show called Shark Tank. Any Shark Tankers in here? Uh, I love watching this show because people come in with these great ideas, these great expectations of what this thing, this product can take off. And listen, a lot of times people are just, they've gotten it to a point, but they don't know what to do with the next step of this. And so I was researching, if you wonder what I do typically throughout the week, uh, I research Shark Tank. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I research ways to keep, keep you connected to what the scriptures are. But it's interesting that some of the most successful Shark Tank ideas are two that I want to share with you, okay? Uh, first, the first and most successful item that has ever been on Shark Tank is Bomba's socks. Does anybody have Bomba's socks? Okay, uh, I'm a sock guy. I'm wearing Oreos this morning. Um, so I really feel like I should be the one that tests these. Uh, I'm a little scared to take them out of the package because they're $14 for one pair of sock. Uh, so uh, if my wife doesn't get mad about the charge that was on our debit card, then I'll wear them. Uh, but it was funny as I was coming in, Brandon saw these sitting there and he goes, are those Bombas? And I was like, yeah, he goes, those are the best socks ever. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to take your word for it, and I'll find out next week. So, But it's crazy to think. These socks have sold over $225 million in lifetime sales. Now, here's an interesting thing, because they donate socks to the homeless community. They have donated over 50 million items to community organizations. And so I want you to think, man, people are passionate about these socks. If you break these socks out, somebody is going to go, those are awesome. 
Those are great socks. Now, the next one I'm a little less passionate about, but this is the second most um, incredible product that has ever come to uh, Shark Tank, and this is the Scrub Daddy. I'm not really sure why it's the Scrub Mommy, but it says Scrub Daddy, Scrub Mommy, which seems really awkward to me, Uh, but this is a reusable super sponge in the shape of a smiley face that gets firm in cold water and soft in warm water. Now, how many of you own a scrub daddy? Okay. How many of you love this product? How many of you, this product makes you smile as big as the sponge every time that you take it out of the wrapper? So I'm actually kind of, no, I'm not excited to clean, but I'm excited that it's something in my house is going to be cleaned with this. Uh, But the other part that I understand is that they have sold, listen to this, $209 million worth of sponges. Now, I want you to think, because this is incredible, because if you watch these presentations on Shark Tank, there's a passionate group of people that walk into this place, and they walk out with these investors. Now, the reality is, if you've ever watched this show, most of the time, the investors are sitting there as people are struggling trying to do this presentation like this. They're just watching, and they're trying to poke holes in their product or in their business or their, their valuations and whatever it is. And listen, I think we can relate to this because I think sometimes the church is doing the exact same thing. So I want to tell you this morning, as exciting as Bombas and exciting as Scrub Daddy is, Jesus is greater than both of these products. Listen, Jesus makes way more of an impact than a comfortable pair of socks and a great sponge. But it's interesting that if we were to talk these things, they would be shared continually. Hey, have you heard about this new scrub daddy sponge telling about it? Hey, these socks are incredible. You got to go buy these socks. But when it comes to Jesus, we go, I would say that our passions are misplaced. Listen, it's easy to get caught up in the idea of missions without realizing our personal role in the mission. For example, many love sports. They sit on the sideline and pull for their favorite team, but never step foot on the playing field to make a contribution themselves. They're great cheerleaders, but not actual contributors. Sadly, the same can be said for many members of the local church. Listen, I want you to understand, and so for me, this is part of my responsibility. My job as a pastor is to passionately tell you guys what your role and what your mission is moving forward. So I hope this morning, and listen, I'm in a tough stage of life where I used to coach and I used to help orchestrate all of these things, but now I'm the dad that sits in the bleachers. Listen, it's hard for me to keep my mouth shut. It's hard for me to not advise the coach. Listen, my wife will go, Jeff. I go, the coach has got it. I don't think he does. I think I need to go over there and help him. No, that's not. But listen, we should be deeply passionate about sharing the message of Christ with other people. So I wanted to take you to Luke chapter 5 in verse 17 through 26. And this is Jesus healing the paralytic. And I want you to understand the context of this. 
This man was paralyzed. He could not walk. He was confined to the bed that they carried him or confined to being outside of the temple gates. And so realize up to this point, Jesus had began teaching and people were fascinated with Jesus' teaching so much so that everywhere that he went, people would come from all different directions just to hear his teaching. So we pick this up in chapter 5 and verse 17. And he says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, now listen, this was a common occurrence for Jesus, continually teaching in different places. But I want you to listen to the people that were in his audience. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. I want you to understand, they were sitting there much like the judges on Shark Tank, looking at Jesus, evaluating everything that he said, and beginning to poke holes in everything that he did. They'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Listen to this, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now up to this point, Jesus had healed many different people. And so word was beginning to spread going, man, if this person can be, this person can genuinely heal people, we've seen it done. And listen, if you knew somebody that was sick, you knew somebody that was hurting, your only hope was to take this person and put him in front of Jesus and say, Lord, please heal them. He says, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. Now listen, the reality in the setting of this is that the place was so full. It's estimated that this was um, Peter's mother-in-law's house and people had gathered together and were continually just arm to arm just kind of stuffed into this place just so they could hear the message I want you to imagine with me this morning because now they were here and they were listening to Jesus and can you imagine they were passionately understanding everything that he was saying there's a man outside that needs to be healed and everybody inside the room is going wait your turn Jesus will be with you in a little while. We're here first. We're the only ones that matter. We're not really concerned about you. Make sure that we get to listen to Jesus. Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now listen, I love friends like this that say there is nothing that's going to stop us. Now listen, I don't want to be the homeowner in this situation, but when they start taking the tiles off of the roof, everybody inside is going, what are you doing? It's my turn with Jesus. Don't do that. Don't tear people's house up. Don't do this. But listen, for these four individuals, there was nothing that was going to stop them. As they led him down through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. You have to imagine that Jesus stopped teaching to see the man lowered into the house. Verse 20, he says, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Can I pause just for a second? Because every religious leader in the room looked at Jesus and goes, 
weeks. That's what needs to be healed. Can you imagine the paralytic in this moment going, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus, I know I'm a sinful man, but I came here because my, wait a minute, did you say my sins were forgiven? Can you imagine the four guys that were carrying this man to Jesus going, great, now we got to carry him back. But at least his sins are forgiven. Can you imagine them looking at Jesus going, you've missed it. Religious leaders understood what took place. I promise you, the paralytic at this moment would have been completely okay being paralyzed the rest of his life knowing that he was going to spend eternity with Jesus. Verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies. Up to this point, they were evaluating whether or not Jesus was the Christ. It was completely acceptable, completely okay, that Jesus would heal somebody physically. This is a step too far. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus perceived their thoughts. Listen, have you ever had somebody that finished your sentence? And you're like, don't do that, I'm a grown man. Hey, I don't know, if, why are you in here? Get out. Imagine the religious leaders thinking something through and Jesus perceiving what's in their thoughts and he answered them without them even saying it out loud. So why do you question in your heart? Which is easier to say to you? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? Religious leaders at this time were being evaluated and being questioned so intently that they had to answer this question themselves. He said, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Immediately, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And can you imagine that moment? The guy got not only his sins forgiven, Now his legs work. You imagine the guys that were with him going, hey, we'll repair the, work, the roof next week, but we're going on a run with this guy. Hey, can you imagine being one of those four going, I'm so glad I don't have to carry this guy back. Imagine being the person in that moment and the people that saw going, Jesus healed this person's sins, he forgave them of their sins, and he healed their physical body. He said an amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today.
And I want to encourage you. Because for some reason, we're not fascinated with what Christ does anymore. Maybe we've lived too long in these religious bubbles and we've seen God work and we've seen God do incredible things. But we almost look and say, why doesn't God do it that way anymore? Listen, I promise you, if the roof began to expose itself for somebody to be lowered in, security team would step in and stop it. But I tell you this, that's the passion that we need for the lost. Let me give you some things from this passage of scripture that will help you understand this concept. The first thing that we need to understand is that these four men had a mission. Listen, Bombas has a great mission statement. It says, Bombas is dedicated to providing high quality, comfortable socks and apparel while making a positive impact on communities in need. Listen, if you read that mission statement, they're very clear. They want to make really good socks and they want to share it with homeless communities. Man, great product, great understanding. Scrub Daddy's mission statement Our goal is to design fun and efficient household tools to make daily life easier. Man, who doesn't want their life to be easier? Man, the scrub daddy is going after that. But Jesus has his own mission statement in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Our mission statement should line up perfectly with his if we are the church if we are the followers of Christ then our mission statement should be this I want you to understand there's different types of Christians this morning in this room there's all conference Christians there's people that take this mission seriously take it the message of Christ to everybody that they come in contact with they're looking at the people that are around them wondering how they can make their team better There's also average Christians. Average Christians are okay with just a few minutes of playing time, just little by little kind of being involved with this, and just as long as it doesn't take too much of their time and too much of their commitment. And then there's spectators. It's interesting that at every event that I go to, the spectators know more than the officials. I actually do. I can prove it on many occasions. (laughs) Listen, as spectators, we're continually evaluating. Man, I can't believe they're doing that. Listen, spectators have probably been in the game at some point, and now they no longer play, and they criticize everything that takes place. So let me kind of explain this in the church. A spectator at one time probably worked in our children's ministry. And they said, this toddler is not being raised right. They're too unruly. I'll never come back in here and work. The reality is it was probably their own toddler that they live with on a regular basis. The understanding is that spectators become bitter very, very, very quick. Listen, we have a room full of spectators that are just evaluating everybody else rather than getting in the game. Then there's bench warmers. 
people that dream about being in the game but don't feel like they're good enough to actually get the playing time. Listen, there's a room full of people that are bench warmers wanting to go in but not knowing how and not knowing what to do. So this morning, I want to give you a little bit of an evaluation. What is your mission statement? Does your mission statement line up with Christ? Does your mission statement line up with what he's called you to do? And so I ask you, what drives you? What motivates you? What things spiritually has God put on your heart that you long to see come to fruition in your lifetime? Do you have kingdom goals or are all of your goals earthly related? Listen, do you have goals of seeing family members, seeing co-workers come to know Christ? The next thing that these men had was an eager expectation. I can imagine it going something a little bit like this. They go and they pick up the paralytic and the paralytic goes, Hey, where are we going? And the two men that are holding him in the back go, Two in the front, just giddy with excitement, can't hold it in and go, we're taking you to Jesus. He's like, who's that? He's the one that's going to heal you. What? Are you sure? I've been like this for a really long time. I don't really want to get my hopes up. See, the men here, they actually believed that Jesus could heal this man. They thought maybe, just maybe, they took a risk because of the mission that they were on. And this is true of men and women throughout the Bible. Jesus lead, or Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land or Elijah on Mount Carmel. We now live on the other side of Jesus' work on the cross and through the empty tomb. How much greater should our expectations be than these individuals? But sadly, the reality is we look at them as heroes and we never think that we would live up to this. I ask you as an evaluation, do you have an eager expectation of somebody around you coming to know Christ? The next thing that we understand is that these men faced a serious obstacle. Now listen, the crowd was the obstacle for them. And they were wall to wall. They weren't going to edge in. Nobody would open the door. Everybody was just packed in. Listen, sometimes the crowd wants to be taken care of first. And here's kind of a fun observation. The individuals that were in the room thought that they needed to hear from Christ more than the guy that needed to be healed from walking. One of the reasons that we may not be getting through some of these obstacles is that we typically see our needs before we see others. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to make sure that I'm taken care of. I'm going to make sure that I get my time with this. I'm going to make sure that I am it's interesting that the thing that God tells us when the disciples come to Jesus and say, what is the first and greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one is just like it. Love others. 
It's interesting that the reality in this situation is he didn't go, hey, you do you, you take care of you, you make sure you're taken care of before this. And listen, we can probably blame the airlines because they say, put on your oxygen mask first before you put on somebody else's. Listen, as Christians, we need to be less concerned about ourselves and worried about the people that are around us. These men faced a serious obstacle. The evaluation that I ask you this morning is this. What obstacles have caused you to wave the white flag of surrender? What would it look like for you to be the person that takes off the roof of a house so that somebody could come and know Christ. The next one is this. These men got more than they bargained for. Man, it's amazing what Christians settle for. We, we try to aim for the very bottom of the barrel God, if you'll just bail me out in the midst of this test, listen, can I tell you, God can do way more than bail you out of a test. J.D. Greer puts it this way, don't settle for the mundane when Jesus wants the miraculous. People thought the primary need was external. What Jesus did in this passage is true for everyone. He shows us the greatest need is in an internal posture of a heart that needs to be changed. When Jesus addressed the deeper need, the people were filled with awe. A careful evaluation this morning is this. How did others play a role in you coming to know Christ? And think about if they approached it the same way that you do. Eh, maybe somebody will share their faith with Jeff. Maybe somebody will share it. Listen, God has put you and me on mission to share this message with everybody that we come in contact with. In what ways has Jesus transformed your life? Listen, why would you not long for the same transition in others? Let me share something with you of putting this into action. Last week after church, me and my wife had to drive to America's Georgia, and so we had about three and a half hours of just road time to talk back and forth. The message last week really moved her. So she became really burdened for one of the people, for, for her one. As we talked back and forth of strategy of what she could say and listen, the reality is that there was a lot of obstacles that were going to be in place for her to do this. Wednesday, about the middle of my day, I get a text and I asked her if I could share it. I'm not sharing the person's name. And the text said this, I just did it. The Holy Spirit was all over me this morning to talk to her. I'm shaking in a crying mess. I'm calming down now. That was tough, but I had to be obedient. She does not know if she will go to heaven if she dies. And then a crying emoji because we don't communicate without emojis. Listen to the lady's response. 
she's open to me sharing a Bible verse with her every day. She thinks that if she does good and helps others, that hopefully that will be good enough to get her to heaven. I told her that wasn't true. But I could share a verse that may help her understand how she can know. I'll text her later on this evening. It's freeing knowing you were obedient in his calling. I tell you, all of the things that are holding you back in your mind are not from God. And the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you and directs you to have that conversation. Something powerful takes place. Listen, the response may not be what my wife received. It may be animosity, it may be hatred, it may be frustration. But listen, we don't worry about the response. That's God's job. Our responsibility is to be obedient. The more and more I do this, the more and more I'm convinced that there's a world out there that sees each and every one of you attend church, sees you post things on social media, and is waiting for you to share this Jesus that you talk about so much but you won't talk to them individually about. And I think this video portrays a lot of how we are as Christians. We're the ones sitting in the bus seats telling somebody that the seat's taken. Imagine that the outside world may see us in that exact same light. Look, every one of us feels sorry for Forrest Gump in this moment. Everybody wants to be welcomed in with open arms and made room for. And I tell you, the world around you is watching everything that you do. And they're wondering, why won't they tell me about Jesus? If he's so important, if they're so deeply passionate, more so than socks and a sponge, why won't they just tell me? J.D. Greer closes a sermon on this exact same topic with this story. I hope you'll give me a little bit of leeway. It's a little bit of a longer story. But I think it illustrates the point of where we are as a church and where we should be moving. He says, now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the water all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, these who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish. 
the abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. Defending fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for a new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. Staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year after tedious training, many graduated and were given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to be fish. The fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true, many of these fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who had made fun of their fishermen clubs. And the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish really are not fishermen, no matter how much they claim to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? My contention to you this morning is this. It's time to start casting our nets. Who's the one that you're going to go after? So at this point in the message, I'm going to have the guys come forward and move this box 
the front. And I would ask you to begin to consider who your one is. So I know that this is kind of a a, a silly illustration with a ping pong ball and a marker. The thing that I'm going to ask you to do is to write the name of your one on this ping pong ball. Now listen, the reality is that there's nothing special about the ping pong ball and there's really nothing special about the marker that you can write this name with. But it's a step in the right direction for us as a church to realize that there is a lost and dying community around us that needs to see and know who this Jesus is. So as we as a church take this first step to write the name of the individual that we want to begin to go fishing after. So for me, something that's kind of easy because there's a lot of these people that I want to see come to know Christ. So as I simply just write a simple name down on this ping pong ball, I'm going to ask you to place it in here as a commitment so that each week you see the name that you wrote on that ping pong ball. And you have to kind of be faced with the reality of Did I share Christ with that person this week? Because the reality is, as this thing sits for the next year, the things that should begin to fill this are the green ones. Listen, it's probably going to take a lot of gospel conversations for you to share the message of Christ before they ever truly place their faith and trust in Christ. When you share the gospel conversation with that individual or with somebody else, I hope that you'll write that name on the ping pong ball. That you'll put it in here. And hopefully, if God is still God and God is still moving like I know that he is, the pink ping pong ball will begin to represent some people that have come to know Christ. Ultimately, the blue one will be when they get baptized. They can write their name on that ball and place it in themselves. Knowing that somebody cared so much about them. They began to pray. Began to share their faith. And God worked in those individuals' hearts. I ask you this morning, will you take a bold step? Whoever it is that over the last two weeks, as we've been talking about this, the Lord has put on your heart. Would you please just share that with the church and write the name on the ping pong ball? Just place it in. Listen, as a first step as a church, I hope that you'll just take a minute and pause at this altar and say, God, give me the words to say, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how I'm going to approach this, but I know that you can help me through this. So I ask you, you stop being a spectator. You stop being a bench warmer. 
you truly buy into the mission that God has laid on our hearts. Because I promise you, He can make a much better difference than any pair of socks and any sponge. And sadly, the world sees people more passionate about socks and sponges than the church is about Jesus. interesting that the results are not on us the willingness is Father I pray that you would be with each person in here that they would be willing to take the mission that you've called them to do that you would begin to change this community Father I pray that the ruler of Bloomingdale and South Effingham and the surrounding areas see so many people come to know Christ that the whole communities change that workplaces see people come to know you and now it becomes this Christian workplace where they do devotions together and pray with each other together Father I pray that neighborhoods would be transformed they would see your love in every aspect of what we do us this morning. Help us to take a step. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If everybody would stand. During this invitation, there's going to be ping pong balls in each one of these little baskets. And I would ask you just to come and take a simple sharpie and just write a name and then put that ball in here. There's four slots for you to begin to do this take some time and begin to pray that those that are around you would come to know Christ. And just as I've done, just as the early services started this, listen, I hope that we fill this whole box with white, and if we do, I'll get another one made. Let's take seriously what God's called us to do. As the worship team sings, I hope that you'll step forward and be